The following podcast uses language that would make a judge blush. Hello and welcome to episode 292 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Today on the show, we talked about a lot of good things. We started with a logical reasoning question and tackled one of the more common flaws and then one of the less common flaws, but still an important one and crucial to that question. Uh, We then talked about the August LSAT, which is going to have four sections and apparently creating (laughs) some reservations for some people. And... Then we went into a whole slew of emails about people who had basically gotten offers. Some were making good decisions, but I would say what? Most were not, right? There's a lot of tough love in this episode, y'all. Yeah. The, you know, This is the time of year where we get a lot of emails from people who have various offers from various schools. And the people who followed our advice have excellent offers in hand and we are happy to help them, you know, reap uh, what they have sowed. The people who haven't followed our advice just end up with mediocre offers. And if you, if you email us asking us what you should do and all your offers are mediocre, we're going to tell you that you need to run it back. You, You just, sorry, you need to start, you need to, do it again. <laughs> like we, there's too many people who get excellent, amazing, you know, they're going to Harvard, they're going to Yale, they're going to Stanford. They've got full rides. They've got stipends. They've got all of these amazing opportunities. And so when you write in asking us to compare shitty offer a to shitty offer B, we're, <laughs> We're going to give you, we're not going to help you pick between those two. I'm sorry. Yeah. We're (laughs) going to give you option. Awesome. Option C, which is for some of you to retake the LSAT and apply again. Next cycle. Some of you, you already have amazing LSAT score. Yeah. So just stop right now and apply the last one. It'll be at the end of the episode for you guys, but we get to somebody who has numbers that are just, wildly better than their offers and you don't need to retake the LSAT, but you do need to reapply to law school. This, this cycle sucks y'all. It's the most competitive cycle ever. If you've got an amazing offer, you know, you have an amazing offer. If you're asking us to choose between three mediocre offers, we're going to tell you to reapply on September 1st. Yeah. Turn down all the terrible offers. You don't have to force yourself into something that's not the right fit for you try again. <laughs> so there's a lot of that in this episode. Cool. Well, this will air on Monday, April 5th. Um, oh, okay. The April LSAT registration closes in five days on Saturday. No, April no, 10th. no, no. That's the April LSAT starting on <laughs> April 10th. <laughs> of course I'm reading the registration closed and not thinking. Okay. Thank you. So the April LSAT is in five days. Good luck. To all of you, that would make sense. It's April 1st. That was my April Fool's joke, by the way. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the June registration deadline is Friday, April 30th. So at the end of this month, you have to have decided and registered for the June LSAT, which will take place the week of June 12th. Hey, have you heard? Uh, this is a little bit of news to me. My students were telling me that the um, the LSAT is actually just offered on two days, this April LSAT, that everybody's going to take it one day or the next day. Have you heard that? I hadn't heard that, no. 
Okay. It used to be that with ProctorU, they were they were spreading the flex across a whole week. But what I've heard so far is that there's only like a couple days that are hmm. available for people uh, to register on. I mean, that may or may not be correct. That's just what my, my current classes are saying. Well, it would make more sense. I don't see why they couldn't do that. If they just ramp up ProctorU and time it well and they could get it done faster, which I think they'd like to do, right? That would make sense. But seems like less opportunities for cheating. Yep. Fewer opportunities for cheating. If they did it that way, um, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So excuse of the week. This is where we take excuses that we've either heard in the demon or from you all, our listeners, and decide whether it's legit. I don't think there are ever legit excuses. No. Well, there's got to be some, right? There's got to be something out there that's legit. But Yeah. This one comes to us from one of our teachers. I can't remember who it was, but they heard this in one of their classes. I don't want to take the August LSAT because of the extra section. (laughs) Okay. So the LSAT right now is three sections. In August, they're going to add an experimental section, which won't be graded, making it a four-section online test that you can do from the comfort of your own home. And this person doesn't want to take that test because it has a fourth section? Yeah. I mean, the LSAT, when we took it, Ben, was five sections. Four of them scored. One of them experimental. Now we've got just a four-section test. Three of them count. One of them is experimental. I mean, yeah, yeah, I, of course, I just always kind of shake my head when I see stuff like this. I guess it's human nature to just be... What is that? Just like optimizing or something? Sure. Yeah. But it's totally missing the forest for the trees because law schools only care about your highest score. You know, I've definitely heard people say like, oh, no, I want to make sure that I'm done. No, 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 no. You know, June's going to be my last attempt. Yeah. Even if they have an attempt to to spend. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. June's going to be my last attempt because I I just don't want to do that extra section. Mm hmm. I, I totally agree with your point, uh, missing the <clears throat> the forest for the trees, right? It's like going to the grocery store and obsessing over the price of a can of beans, but then not taking the time to research all the houses you might buy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And spending thousands and thousands of dollars more than you would have. But boy, you sure spend a lot of time really figuring out which can of beans to buy. Your LSAT score is so important. You really just can't worry about one more 35-minute section. It's 35 minutes of your life. Well, yeah. I mean, the maximum that the test could possibly take, even if it does have four 35-minute sections, you know, that's two hours and 20 minutes worth of timed sections, plus a little break in between section two and three, plus a little time for setup, right? waiting for your proctor, showing them around your room, making sure that your whole thing is all set up for the test. Maximum three and a half hours. Even with a force, I mean, barring some disaster where you get put on hold for two hours. It's a, it's a, you know, when you know lawyers and you know how much they work, you know what their workday looks like. This is like one third of the LSAT start to finish is like one third of a 
Saturday mm-hmm. or Sunday <laughs> for a lawyer. Yeah. Right. So I just always kind of go, man, you could have just casually said that and not really meant it. You know, if you didn't really think it through and you said, I don't want to take August because of the extra section. Okay. But you're entering a world of crazy working long hours, you know? Yeah. And yeah. Also, (laughs) as Ben points out, you're in your home. Presumably, you kind of like it there. I mean, you can make it however you want it normally. So what, how bad could it possibly be? And then, oh, here's this one, Ben. How about this one? But I'm accommodated and I get double time. So that extra <laughs> section, it's not just an extra 35 minutes. It's an extra. It's a whole extra 70 minutes. Yeah. It's, well, <laughs> you're getting a lot of benefits. <laughs> I definitely have seen the other kids in the class just sort of recoil from that, you know, like, yeah. oh my God, this person's actually complaining about getting double time. <laughs> anyway, that's the excuse of the week. If you've got an excuse of the week, email help at thinkinglsat.com or hit us up on social at thinkinglsat. I've been surprised the, since we've started talking about and thinking about the excuse of the week, they pop up all over the place. We have, we, we get these. It's like every class I hear something that could go on the podcast agenda for excuse of the week. Good. I mean, bad, but good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, they're never going to go away, right? Just the nature of our minds to find reasons to complain. Um, Well, okay, let's jump into this. We have a logical reasoning question from test 65, section four. Um, It's question 26. Oh, good. Looks short. It's about volleyball. I don't have my volleyball sweatshirt on today, but... You have a volleyball sweatshirt? I do. What does it say? It says Metro Volleyball. volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a volleyball team. It's uh, I see. Maria's daughter's team. Ah, ah okay. I, have you ever played so, volleyball? Um, I've played as a matter of a pickup game. That's it. You yeah. mean like more seriously, right? No. I guess I meant recently. Oh, no, not really. Yeah. Apparently they play a lot here at the lake in the summertime, mm. uh, like yeah. beach volleyball. Yeah, beach volleyball. I've Great. I've watched people and it seems really difficult to dig around in the sand like that. Hmm. But uh, I don't know how I might mess around this summer. Okay. You want to read the argument here? Yeah, because our club recruited the best volleyball players in the city, we will have the best team in the city. No, you won't. Okay, that's a part to whole flaw right there. Just because you have the best players doesn't necessarily mean that your team overall will be the best. Um, We have to grant you that you do have the best players, but they may not play well together because... The sum of the parts may be actually less than the sum of some other parts. That yeah, are and Ben immediately went right to the LSAT teacher thing, right? He he has a name for this flaw because that's a common flaw. He mm-hmm. said, oh, that's the whole part, or the part to whole flaw, rather. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. the parts don't have to have the same attribute as the whole. Yep. But it's just common sense. You Everybody has seen a, you know, pick your favorite sport. You've seen a your your favorite team sport. You've seen a dream team come together that turns out to be a nightmare because even though it's all of the super best players, 
they ball hog it or they're poorly coached or who knows what, you know, they just, they can all be the best players, but they do not have to be at all the best team. All right. Yep. Uh, This argument continues. Moreover, since the best team in the city will be the team most likely to win the city championship, our club will almost certainly be the city, be city champions this year. Okay. So I'll, I'll grant this author and I think I might have to, because it looks like it's in a premise, but this person is saying that the best team in the city will be the team most likely to win the city championship. That doesn't seem too crazy to me. You're more likely to win than any of the other teams. That said, saying that our club or concluding from that, that our club will almost certainly be city champions this year is confusing a, I'm going to go LSAT terminology here, but it's confusing a, a, a situation that's, relative like you're more like like this team is Mm -hmm. more likely to do better than another team doesn't mean that they're likely to win right like you you still may may be up against a ton of teams and maybe you have a 10 percent chance of winning and all the other teams have only a five percent chance of winning so you are most likely you're the team that's most likely to win because you have a higher chance than anyone else but your chances of winning are still very small because you're up against a large field of clubs. Yep. And and sure, you could have the best chance of winning, but if there's 100 teams in the competition, maybe the best chance maybe, maybe you're the best team by far and you have like a 10% chance of winning the tournament. There could be no other team that has a 5% chance of winning the tournament. Mm-hmm. You have sure. a 10% chance of winning the tournament because you're the best team by far but you're still only going to win 10% of the time. And in their conclusion here, they went to almost certainly be city champions, which that means most of the time, right? Doesn't that mean more than half of the time? It does. Yeah. So there's a second flaw here. And to the extent that this question is hard at all, it's hard because there was the first pretty obvious flaw Yes. Just because you have the best players does not mean that you have to be the best team. But even if we grant you that you are the best team and that you do have the best chance to win the city championship, that does not mean that you're almost certainly going to be city champions because we could have a hundred, we could have a thousand teams in the field, right? We could have 10,000 teams in the field. And so you could be head and shoulders above the rest, but that doesn't mean you're more than a 50, 50 to win the tournament. Especially, you know, I mean, the NCAA basketball tournament's going on right now. It's single elimination. You could be the best exactly. team by far, but... You're out. Oops. Yeah. UCLA could come out of nowhere and beat you, so... Um, hey, so just yeah. so people are familiar with these terms, I, I, I love the um, intuitive explanation. Um, the LSAT jargon I would use to describe this flaw is the person is going from a something that's relative to something that's absolute. So they're saying, hey... This team is more likely to win than any other team, but that doesn't mean that they're likely to win. Just uh, say by analogy, um, if you're the tallest person in the room, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're tall, right? It's the same kind of problem. That's a great, vivid analogy there. You know, if this is a 
a jockey convention, mm-hmm. you could be the tallest jockey in the room, by far the tallest jockey in the room. But you know, you know, they might describe you as tall for a jockey. Mm-hmm. But if we were trying out for the volleyball team, you know, the tallest person in that room might be the shortest person on the volleyball team. Yeah, and so. Yes, a shift between relative and absolute. You know, I, I want to. I, I got excuse of the week on my mind since we started with that today. I get, I get people. I get people with this type of an issue. People get so caught up in the technicality that they're like, "I, I never, I never studied that. I, I never. No one ever taught me that." Yeah, and it's like. I, I, I don't have much patience for that particular excuse. I mean, I'm happy to explain this thing a million times until it finally clicks for you. But like, if you think that someone had to teach you at some point, the difference between relative and absolute, I don't think that that's, it it just seems like so obviously common sense. I, I guarantee that you do this analysis all the time in your everyday life. Mm hmm. You know, you're the richest one of all your friends. Okay. Does that make you rich? Yeah. Or you're the poorest one of all of your friends. Does that make you poor? Not really. Not if you're, you know, an American went to college, (laughs) you can easily be the poorest of your friends and not be objectively poor by any, you know, broader standard. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the test is testing logic and logic usually by definition makes sense. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole that's thing why. about it. Yeah. It's logical. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's logical and it's not, see that's, yeah, that's, that's, we're like, right. We're on something there, I think, because it's like, yeah, it internally by itself without, anybody ever having to ordain that this is the truth it's just <laughs> it's ordain. inherently sounds religious <laughs> well no but i mean that's I like exactly it. what I, that's, <laughs> yeah exactly what you're well, fighting against right you want it to be objective and scientific versus prescribed or revelatory <laughs> yeah it it is it's i think we all recognize this as objective truth mm-hmm. if you just think about it for 5 seconds there's you have the biggest house on your street the biggest house on your street is the most likely house on your street to be the biggest house in town but just because you have the biggest house on your street does not mean it's more than likely that you will or sorry almost certain or more than 50 percent that you would have the biggest house in town yeah yeah, your house is the only house on your street that has the chance to be the biggest house in town. But there's lots of other houses in town, and you have no idea relatively, you know, comparing your street to the rest of town. All right, anyway, we could um, come up with a thousand <laughs> different examples. Yeah. I mean, the only reason I wanted to point out the verbiage there is the one case that people may struggle, even with uh, a clear understanding of the logic, is in a flaw question where they describe or try to describe that flaw right because they use those terms relative and absolute and for some people it might be like what like what is relative what's absolute what do you mean by that and 
the LSAT does use those terms sometimes. Yeah. And so here it's the relative comparison is we're the best team in the city. Actually, that's absolute. We are the best team in the city. Mm. That well, actually, the so that's relative because you're still comparing yourself to other people. You may not be good. You're just better than Sorry. everyone else. Yes, yeah. absolute. We are the best team. Sorry, relative because we're comparing to someone else. Well, mm-hmm. but but okay. So this premise is also. Oh yeah, I, I see what you're saying. So the most likely to win is the relative part I was focusing on. Yeah. Yes, that, and that's where the flaw lies. Here is from the relative premise. Mm-hmm most likely to win the championship it, it's yep. you know and and actually they switched terms here to almost mm. certainly be city champions which i'm not sure yeah. exactly what that means but it does mean like more than half the time yeah um, mm-hmm. they could have said since the best team in the city will be the team most likely to win the city championship our club is likely to win the city likely to be city champions Yes, exactly. And then you'd see the same words, but they just dropped that word most. Going that would have made most it even harder. Because what I just did there was I still make the relative to absolute. Because most likely is a relative term. Yep. Whereas likely implies more than half the time. So that's an absolute term. Exactly. When I saw the phrase almost certainly, I translated that in my head to likely because I just I'm just going to treat it as um, greater than 50 percent, which is what likely means. Yeah, so that's what like, I saw, too. Most I, likely, I was like, yeah, more yeah. than half the time. Yep. OK, well, we cool. beat this one to death. It has two flaws. <laughs> and now the question's asking us the reasoning and the argument is flawed because what are you thinking anything yeah. here before you go to the answer choices on a flaw question? What are we doing? Yeah, I'm looking for something that's going to describe exactly what happened in the argument in terms of the flaw. There are two flaws, at least two flaws in this argument. So I would expect the correct answer to describe either one of those. I would not expect the answer. I would not expect the two answers to describe these flaws, one describing one and one describing the other, and then no we have to choose between the two Absolutely because they not. would both be correct, right? So Yeah. It notice it doesn't even say anything about like most flawed because mm-hmm. whatever, mm-hmm. right? So yep. only one of these answers and this is the way I like to teach it these days, Ben. I think I kinda got it from you. I'm not sure if you do it exactly this way, but yeah. um when I teach how to do a flaw question, right? Like if I ask, I'll put somebody on the spot, like, Hey, what's your plan on a flaw question? Yeah. What I want them to say is I'm looking for something that they did Mm -hmm. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's a, it can be a two step analysis because it's like a must be true first. Mm -hmm. I know they did this thing. If I don't, if I can't prove that they did the thing that the answer is describing, then this is not the answer. So they yeah. have to have done it. And furthermore, it's wrong that they did it. So you should probably already be yelling about it in your head. You should be like, hey, wait a second. You know, the best players don't necessarily mean the best team. You did that. And that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Two, um, you made a relative to absolute flaw here. You did that. And it's wrong that you did that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Now, <laughs> this is 
My, this might be looking into the test a little too much, but I, I'm I'm kind of anticipating because the first flaw was so obvious, and the second flaw was clearly a flaw, but not so obvious for people. I'm I'm wondering if the test is likely to give us an answer choice that incorrectly or yeah incorrectly describes the first flaw in an attempt to pull people off right and get people to choose that because that's only what they're looking for yeah and then they try to fit that answer choice that yep. circle answer choice into well, I, a square i bet you hole. can go one step further specifically what do you think they're going to do to try to trap you here that first flaw that you identified so easily was what again uh oh it's going from part to whole so maybe they'll give us one that goes from whole to part or something like that almost guaranteed yeah and it will be wrong but it will be the only thing that people are looking for and so then they're just going to say ah this is the best answer there's not really a best answer law questions yeah good point <laughs> yep no that's that's there's just not the best answer on you, you could go ahead and presume that there is yeah. no such thing as the best answer on any LSAT question. There's one correct answer and four wrong answers on every LSAT question. I guarantee that the test makers think of it that way. They want like a legally defensible correct answer. Yep. And they want four legally defensible wrong answers. So yeah. in their mind, the test makes perfect sense. It's never about like, oh, well, that's almost correct. Yeah. So I'll pick that. That's much more likely to just be an objectively wrong answer. I, I like the, that you said presume that because I think that's true 98% of the time. There is this, right. right when you said that, it reminded me of this one question. Of course, everybody's going to take this exception to the extreme, but it was a strengthened question, which is asking you which one of the following if true most, actually, I think it was a weakened question, which one of the following if true most weakens, right, the argument? And it, whoever wrote it was having a fun time because a, B, C, and I think maybe D, but at least A, B, and C all weakened. They just progressively weakened it more. It was a matter of degree, like some versus most or whatever. And then finally, D, I think, weakened it by far the most. Like a sufficient it, weakener. Yeah. Yeah. And, they're just hoping they're hoping to pick you off, right? Like at some point you're gonna like pick one of those and then so there was a matter of degree, but that's that's pretty it's rare. extremely rare. And we had one the other day where I thought that there was a second best answer because there were two remember it was a matching flaw question and mm -hmm. the flaw was confusing sufficient for necessary. And then yeah. there were two answers that confused sufficient for necessary. One of them was mm -hmm. a mistaken reversal and the other one was a mistaken negation. And I wish the LSAC would stop doing that. But yeah. that was an example where it was like, okay, if that answer wasn't there, then I would clearly pick this. But I, I, it's just vanishingly small. The importance of that is vanishingly small. Like you could still reach 179 or 180 even without ever getting into analysis like that. Yes, we can find a small handful of questions, but we got 9,000 questions to sort through. Yeah, I think the presumption is important because if you think most questions have answer choices in which it's a matter of degree, like, oh, well, if we got rid of the correct answer, would this one work? Yeah, like this one would be great. No, you're missing something that usually makes that answer impossible for it to ever be correct. It would be really bizarre for the LSAT to like force that as the best answer. 
and and you're missing that because you're just thinking, oh, it's just like not as good. No, no, no. There's like a word that's like gone. And if you you realize that that word's gone or been added to that answer choice, you see it and you're like, oh, that's that's never going to work. So anyways, that's what we're worried about, I think, right, is people not realizing what's really wrong with that answer. I just – I promise that there's one time per test maximum, and I, and I doubt that it's even that often, that there really is a legitimate, credible, second-best answer. Mm-hmm. And But even if there is, even if there is, there's going to be a concrete reason. It's not like just, oh, well, that person felt like it was better. You can say, oh, that's that's the word right there that makes that answer worse. Well, uh, but I guess what I'm saying is, by definition, it's not just that it's worse. It's just wrong. I mean, it's just there, there just aren't there just aren't very many even credible second best answers. I I think we pretty i mean more often than not there's like three different reasons why that answer is wrong yeah okay anyway we're looking for a flaw something that this argument did wrong go ahead a presumes without presenting relevant evidence that an entity can be distinguished as the best only on the basis of competition (laughs) this is like this is like reversing um, what happened here? Like, the, we concluded what the competition outcome would be from the fact that they were the best team. This is like saying, "Oh, we could, we can conclude, or we can, yeah, decide that they're the best only on the basis of a competition." In other words, the best becomes like the conclusion or something like that. So, in my mind, this is flipped. I'm not even going to think much about it. Yeah, and. I mean, even without getting into the whole only thing or, or whether, you know, if putting aside the issue of whether they did this, mm-hmm. they just did not do, they didn't say competition is the only thing that can distinguish us as the best. As a matter of fact, they did the exact opposite of that. They said, we have the best individual players, therefore we're the best. That has nothing to do with, hey, look at our record or look at our game we just played against the city champions or whatever. Okay. B predicts the success of an entity on the basis of features that are not relevant to the quality of that entity. Okay. Is this happening? No, because the, it it does predict the success of an entity, the club on the basis of features. They're the best team, but those features are relevant to the quality of that entity the actually sorry (laughs) the players yeah the players so we have the they're looking at the fact that they're the best players to decide that they're the best team that's flawed you can't do that but to say that those that that the fact that they're the best players is irrelevant is (laughs) also flawed like it's going too far in the other extreme so you're so the burden of proof is on us here did they do it wrong yeah. That first step, did they do this? It's like a must be true question. So you have to imagine standing up in court and saying, Your Honor, their their argument is built on features that are not relevant to the quality of the team. And <laughs> you're gonna really try to make that case? That the the quality of the players is not relevant to the quality of the team. 
I've had like, I've gone rounds with students in classes on this exact question before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, they'll, they'll sometimes, you know, they want to stick to their guns, but it's like, really? You're going to try to, I I understand that the quality of the players does not necessarily mean that the team is going to have that quality because that would be the part to whole flaw. But to say that it's irrelevant is just clearly absurd, right? Like you're, yeah. that's just a non-starter of an argument. You're going to lose immediately yeah. the second you start to say, "Well, what? No, the fact that they're all seven feet tall and super fast and super strong and super athletic—that uh, doesn't—that's not relevant to the to how good the team is going to be." <laughs> you're, I'm sorry, but that's that's an immediate fail. So they did not do what B is describing. Yeah. C, does the argument predict the outcome of a competition, yes, um, merely on the basis of a comparison between the parties in that competition? I say yes. Give them credit for it. Okay. The strongest word there is merely, merely on the basis of comparison. Yeah, it does seem like that. They said, hey, they're the best team. Well, even are the best players is like, yeah, that's a that's a comparison of our team to your team, right? Our players are the best players in the city. Yeah. That means yours aren't. Our team is the team most likely to win the city championship. That's a comparison between the parties in the competition. So let's, let's say, yes, they did do what C is describing. Yeah. Is that a problem? Can you predict the outcome of a competition merely on the basis of a comparison between the parties in that competition? It doesn't seem too crazy of a way to predict the outcome. <laughs> it seems like the very best way to predict the outcome. I mean, you know, let's take it down to just two teams in the fight or like an actual boxing match. Yeah. You know, you've got a boxing match between Shaquille O'Neal and Nathan Fox. You look at Yikes. the seven foot, 400 pound monster. And then you look at me and you go, hmm. Based on a comparison between the two parties, I'm going to predict that Shaq is going to win this boxing match. And I was I was just thinking about it. I was like, okay, if, if you're not predicting the outcome of a competition merely on a basis of the comparison between the parties, um, okay, so maybe you look to outside information, right? Like uh, some rules or something. But even then, I think you're going to have to tie them back to the parties in some way. Right? Like, how would those rules affect the parties? So, I don't see this as being a problem, or at least yeah. a huge one. It, it's tricky because they did it, but you're just going to have a hard time making the case that it's wrong that they did that thing. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah. it didn't like, you know, C doesn't, it's, they didn't like predict it absolutely on the basis of merely a comparison, right? They just said, well, yeah, you know, we're going to win. We're, we're, we're the most likely to win. So we're going to almost certainly be the city champions, city champions. The problem there is the relative to absolute. The problem is not the, oh, well, you really need to consider other things besides looking at the teams that are in the tournament. You need to consider the weather. Well, yeah, but even then you're going to bring it back to the <laughs> we're parties the best in team. some way. The weather affects everybody. Yeah, right. You, you can't do that weather analysis without also getting back to like, well, you have experience. We're in the weather and you don't have experience in the weather. So mm-hmm. that you're still going to be making a comparison between the parties. All right. Anyway, C is not a cool. problem. Cool. 
D, presumes without providing warrant. That just means necessarily assumes that if an entity is the best among its competitors, then each individual part of that entity must also be the best. No, this is going backwards. It said each part is the best, therefore we are the best. Each of our players is the best, therefore we're the best team. Not, hey, we're the best team, so each of our players must be the best. So this didn't happen. When you try to do five questions in the last five minutes, you are very likely to skim this one. You see the part to whole flaw in the first sentence of the argument. You skim the answer choices. You see D talking about parts and holes. And you pick it. This is why we must decide that we're not going to try to do five questions in the last five minutes. We're going to instead do one more question in the last five minutes and actually get it right. Because you could have invested 60 seconds on this question and still missed it. Yeah. And you need to, you need to make sure that you recognize. Um, by the way, Ben, this is the answer that we predicted Right. Oh, there were two flaws in the argument. Maybe one of them is going to be maybe one of the wrong answers is going to be a misstatement of one of those flaws. Yep. Sure enough, there it is. That's a nicely laid trap, I would say. Yeah, it's a flaw, but it's not the flaw that happened here. Right. D's wrong because they didn't do it. They, They took the part to the whole. They didn't take the whole to the part. So D misdescribes the argument. You stand up in court and start yelling about they did D. Their defense is no, we did not. <laughs> oh, <laughs> this done. answer, this, this, sorry, I started reading ahead to the next answer. And um, there's some more relative absolute stuff we can get, we get to talk about here. So it says E oh, good. concludes. So this argument concludes that because an event is the most likely of a set of possible events, Yes, they're the team most likely to win. That event is more likely to occur than not. Um, The phrasing, so this is exactly what we described, is talking about going from something that is most likely to happen to something that is likely to happen. Even though you're the most likely event to occur, you could still be pretty unlikely. (laughs) Yep. but this is interesting because the the last phrase of this answer choice says that event is more likely to occur than not. That sounds like a relative phrase, right? Because it says more likely. But if you say you're more likely to occur than not, all you're saying is that you're likely to occur, which is an absolute. So this is describing the relative to absolute flaw in the yeah, second and half of that argument. It's exactly what we predicted. It's exactly what we were looking for. We would fairly easily pick E because it's April and because April is the Masters Golf Tournament mm. month. Um, okay. I'll make just give one more example. Maybe somebody who's a golf fan out there will get this. Um, last year's Masters Tournament was delayed because of COVID. So they played the Masters in like October or November, which is totally weird. It's never in October or November. But that was just a few months ago. That mm-hmm. if a golf, if you're a golf fan at all, you might remember Dustin Johnson just totally running away with the Masters last year. I mean, he just he just buried the field. Okay, just destroyed the field, and he's in the field this month. 
and, and another masters, like so just a few months later, same golf okay. course, same guy. And, yeah. um, I live in Nevada. So I went to the sports book and picked up the like betting sheet on the odds. Right. Mm-hmm. And Dustin Johnson is clearly the favorite to win, but being the favorite to win the most likely to win a golf tournament that has 80 people in the field. Yep. He is the most likely of the 80. It is the most likely of a set of possible events, right? Any of the 80 people on the list can win. Dustin Johnson is by far the most likely to win. But he's like a three to one bet, which means that he's only going to win one third of the time. Yeah, if it helps everyone think about it for a second, imagine you had two choices. You could either bet that he wins or you bet that anyone yeah, else which wins. You can. That's actually a bet. I mean, <laughs> you can bet on absolutely anything. It's yeah. <laughs> welcome to Nevada, but you can certainly go in there and say, I'll take the field. You know, you're betting on Dust you're essentially betting on Dustin Johnson to lose. Well, yep. that's a far more than fifty percent proposition because there's seventy nine other guys in the field, and I don't care how good Dustin Johnson is. I don't care he that to he's the defending champ. Yes, he has to beat all 79 of them to win the Masters. And yep. so the field is much more likely to win, even though Dustin Johnson is the individual in the field who is most likely to win. Yeah, he's more likely to beat any of them. <laughs> but they, as a group, are more likely to beat him. That's the same exact problem. That's exactly what's going on with this club volleyball argument. Cool. And that's why the answer is E. Cool. Yeah. All right, mailbag. Um, yeah, thanks. Uh, keep your cards and letters coming, by the way. Uh, help at thinkinglsat.com. We love getting news reports from you. Um, today, we got a whole bunch of emails from people who have been getting offers. I guess springtime is offer season for the law schools. So we got all kinds of updates from listeners and former demon students, people talking about their scholarships. Yeah, maybe they're getting desperate, right? They have a few open seats still. They're like, okay, we got to fill these. Let's make some decisions. Well, yeah. I mean, I think what happens is there's like movement at the top, right? People commit at the top. Mm-hmm. And then and trickles that, down. Yeah. So like, for example, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, LSAT demon tutor Sarah told me yesterday that she has accepted her offer to go to Harvard Law School. So we've got... Uh, that's at least so far we've got two people starting at Yale and one person starting at Harvard uh, hmm. who are currently teaching classes for the LSAT demon um, starting this fall, which is impressive. It's a feather that's, in our cap. I did great, not go yeah. to Harvard or Yale. I did not. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, anyway, you know, what happens I think is Sarah accepts and then Harvard has to like kind of go, okay, well you down there on the wait list, you're now cut. And then the things just kind of filter down from the top, right? So there's going to be more offers get made as people decide where they're going to go. And then other offers get cut anyway. Um, I'll, I'll dive in here. It says, hi, Leslie, Ben and Nathan. Leslie works with us doing uh, personal statement editing stuff. Hi, uh, I'm writing to thank you for your help with my personal statement. I ended up applying to 30 schools. Wow. I was accepted at seven with a total of $713,000 in scholarship money. I was also waitlisted at seven. Wait, so 
Can yeah. we hold on one second? I just want to point out one thing too. Anyone who's listening, maybe in your car right now, Nathan just said 30 schools. That's a lot, but Ma- Madeline is setting herself up for success. I just yeah. want to compare this to an email that we're going to get later, which I feel like is a completely different experience. But anyways. Yeah. Nope. This is this is winning. I mean, notice also the dramatically different response from these 30 schools that she applied to. She obviously applied to a broad, you know, portfolio of schools. I think portfolio is a pretty damn good analogy here, actually, right? Yeah, it's like a stock portfolio. You you don't want to invest in three schools or three stocks. No, you're you're gonna you're gonna have thirty stocks in your portfolio, not three. You're gonna have thirty stocks in your portfolio. Some of them are gonna be home runs. Some of them are gonna be complete strikeouts. That's the whole point of having a portfolio. Is that? But but sometimes those home runs can be. Like you said, home runs. They're not just, yeah. they take you all the way. They give you a full ride and a stipend or whatever. Yeah, That's all anybody needs is one, right? She's yep. happy about her 700 and whatever thousand dollars worth of scholarship money. She can only accept one of those offers. Yeah. But she's cast a very wide net and, you know, she's hoping to reel in the big one here. Um this morning, I have decided to accept, and, and uh, you know, I'm already like, why? What? Why? Hmm? School doesn't start until September 1st. You're still on the wait list at seven schools. B- why have you decided to accept? Anyway, congratulations. I have sure. decided to accept an almost mm, full ride offer at Villanova University's Charles Widger School of Law, which could we not do that? <laughs> you're Villanova going to Villanova law, law. like I feel yeah. like she's it, it's I think I, by the way this is a very positive email I'm super happy that Madeline has been successful but that right there is a little like she's drinking the Kool-Aid mm-hmm. <laughs> it's Villanova law you don't need to name whoever the hell Charles Widger is that's what <laughs> no one gives a shit um, anyway <clears throat> where I have deferred my admission and scholarship And will be joining next year's class in the fall of 2022. Okay. Okay. So we've accepted. I mean, so that means now she's accepting a school that she's not going to go to until. Yeah, a year and a half from now. Hmm. But I guess it's nice to know. Maybe she has reasons. Yeah. Life family is, reasons or she's getting married has or some certainty yeah hmm. this is the best part i had applied and was rejected to villanova in 2018 one demon subscription later i had a 10 point lsat score improvement yet with a below median gpa and a 75th percentile lsat at villanova so a splitter I have no doubt that my personal statement was the highlight of my application and propelled me ahead in this competitive cycle The biggest difference maker that shaped Madeline, the law school applicant, was the knowledge and advice you gave that allowed me to take control of my law school process and feel confident in my decisions. Thank you for all you do. Go Nova, Madeline. And then (laughs) you asked her, huh, why why she deferred. You want to look through this or maybe give me the bullet points? Yeah, yeah. So I said, hey, why'd you defer? She said that she was basically in between two work opportunities that she didn't get to 
fulfill because of COVID-19, but now those opportunities are coming about and she wants to do them before she goes to law school. And that's uh, great. I mean, maybe she'll even do them and decide not to go to law school, which I'm always open to. Yeah. Uh, I asked her a little bit more about her deferral process. And I, I thought there were a couple things that were interesting in here. Um, she says, one, do not apply to law school with deferring already in mind. I think we've said this before. Um, schools seem to vary greatly on their deferral policy. Villanova had zero information on their website about deferrals. And it wasn't until I requested one that I got the details. So like you guys always say, if you have any doubt, wait it out and apply next cycle or never. Good. I'm glad you realized that, yep. Madeline. Um, to establish a good relationship with an admissions representative. This is what uh, Sydney from our last episode was saying. For me, this was the dean of admissions. I went on a tour of the law school and met him in person. I went to virtual law school events, and throughout the year, I kept him updated on additions to my resume. So by the time I called him to ask about a deferral, he already knew me and my genuine interest in the school. I think... Um, he goes. She goes on to say here, oh, well, be prepared to walk away, which is a good point. She says, the dean of admissions told me that they actually had only one COVID-related deferral last year and three academic or work-related deferrals, and this year I was the first to request one. So the fact that they are rarely requested might have been something to do with how easy it was for her to get it. Anyways, this is what I actually wanted to read. Sorry. When I called and requested the deferral, the dean of admissions told me that we want Madeline, the future lawyer, to graduate from our school, whether that's in the class of 2024 or 2025, and that they're in full support of me strengthening the personal and professional relationships that could benefit me in the future. I don't know if any of that's true, but what I was thinking... Is that the fact that she had this relationship with this person would make it very easy for her to ask for a deferral or anything else for that matter, right? It's like, it's the mere fact that this person knows her is going to give her power that other applicants don't have. And so um, I thought there was some some value in that. If you don't maybe have time to cultivate relationships with all the schools that you're looking at, but the ones that you're serious about, I don't see why uh, that wouldn't be helpful. Yeah. Great job, Real Madeline. Relationship, real relationships, I would say. Not just these like phony, you know. Right. Yeah. If you actually establish a real connection, sure. If, even if it just makes it easier for you to ask, great. Mm-hmm. That made it easier for you to ask and you, you don't get what you want. If you don't ask the thing I really like about this situation, notice in 2018 Villanova refused Madeline's money. Mm -hmm. They were like, Oh, you applied to our law school. Nope. We don't want you at any price. Goodbye. Yep. 10 LSAT points later. And I, I gotta say I'm attributing this. The, the bulk of this difference is probably not her personal statement. We did help her with her personal statement. Her personal statement was excellent, but that's not the thing that changed them from a zero to a full ride. The thing that changed them from a zero to a full ride was 10 more LSAT points. She went from below their 25th percentile to above their 75th percentile, or maybe at their 75th percentile. And because of that, they said, yep. You've got the horsepower. We want your numbers for our, our 509 report because it influences our law school rankings. And they still won't take her money. 
Either way. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, now they're going to let her go, to go to school. From <laughs> one extreme to the other. We don't want any school taking your money. That's what we mean. Either they're rejecting you and you're not going, or you are going for free, hopefully. Madeline, you're not going entirely for free. Um, hopefully, there's a good reason for that. But Well, cool. yeah, I mean... We, we say this all the time, right? Like with a 10 point improvement, you can go from below the 25th percentile to above the 75th percentile. This is a concrete example of someone who in, improved by exactly 10 points and went from denied to full ride. Almost full ride. near mm -hmm. full ride with that yep. 10 point improvement. Yeah. Um, which there's the value of LSAT prep for you. So yeah. that's excellent. Great job, Madeline. Cool. Okay. Ooh, what's what's this next Contrast one? that with this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pick where I go to law school, please, was the subject, which amused me. Um, mm -hmm. Thanks to meeting Matt during an online pre-law school class at University of Maryland, I was able to join the demon and go from a 150 to a 158. Still not amazing, though, because I only had a month to study before the August 2020 LSAT flex. How many what? alarm bells are going off for you, Ben? Well, first of all, eight points in a month is extraordinarily amazing. <laughs> so this is amazing and at the same time disappointing. Like, what? why are you only giving a month to something that could continue to pay off way more? That's the student we can help the most. That's the student yeah. who actually ends up in the 170s. We see yeah. people go from 150 to 172 all the time. Yeah. You know what that student does first? They go from 150 to 158 in a month. And we go, oh, it's working. Fantastic. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. And instead, E, it sounds like E is on the verge of making a terrible decision here. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll, let me continue. No, we, thankfully, we get to pick... <laughs> Where oh, E goes to law school. But so. we're going to surprise E with our advice. Yeah. Um, I then had a gap year, so I started working at a plaintiff's personal injury law firm. And the work was fine, but the workplace culture sucked. Well, yeah, you're, it's a law firm. What do you think? This personal is a 20-person firm in the suburbs of New York, Melville, Long Island. I, It's it's a law firm. It's, it's a miserable <laughs> existence. I mean... It was between that and getting an MA in ethics at Fordham, but I turned that down for real world experience. Yeah. I mean, good. I can't imagine what an MA in ethics is ever <laughs> going to do. Well, Hey, it makes you able to like teach community college, you know, or maybe some fancy private schools would require a master's for you to teach there. But otherwise these master's programs, especially in something like ethics, is just going to qualify you for nothing. I'm not saying that's not, that's, I think that's true. I have two masters. I mean, they don't. Oh, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you by yeah. any means. What are okay. you going to do? You're going to knock on the, the door of some like shop and be like, well, I have an MA in ethics. Like, yeah. Hey, do you, okay. Do, you were not going to steal from me? you guys have any ethics me? problems that need to be solved? Because I'm a master of ethics. <laughs> I want to be an international lawyer. I speak Greek, so hopefully I can use that to my advantage. Sure. I, I would think, yeah, if you want to practice international law, multiple languages is going to be a big feather in your cap, if not just straight necessary in many situations. This, 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 her tone sounds awfully naive, though. 
oh, I speak another language, so now I'm qualified or, you know, more yeah. qualified. Well, I, unfortunately, I he is naive in lots of different ways. Um, I got a full ride. That's all in caps because he's excited. I got a full ride at Turo Law School in Central Islip. How do we, do we say Islip? New York. You're asking me. <laughs> all right. Well, you're at least on the East Coast. Um, <laughs> says ranked... 147 to 193. I don't give a shit. It's if you're not the, ranked the mere in the top fact that that's a range just <laughs> yeah. proves that it's meaningless. Yeah. It's you're not so ranked. bogus. It, yeah. If you're not ranked in the top 20, I don't give a shit what your ranking is. Really? I don't really care that much about the top 20 either, but you know, there's a, there's a difference certainly between the very top and everything else. There is absolutely no difference between, I mean, really like 47 and 147 is a pretty insignificant. It's, it's not nearly the difference that uh, E thinks it is. Mm-hmm. I got 17,000 from Brooklyn Law School, exclamation point, ranked 81st. Okay. We, e, we want to know how much you have to pay, not how much you got off. But anyways. Exactly. Yeah. That, if Brooklyn Law costs $22,000, then that's pretty good. If Brooklyn yep. Law costs $72,000, then that's terrible. I got into Pace, but no money, so not really an option. Ranked 139. You're, you're, all these rankings are pointless. Exactly. These are all the same all school. Nobody gives yep. a shit about any of these schools. <laughs> like they're <laughs> Well, that's... No, I mean, no one who doesn't live in those areas gives yeah. any shit. And even Whether, the people who yeah. do live in those areas, it's like... I don't know. I mean, it's going to be an extremely rare job for an international lawyer. <laughs> some some organization that does trade deals with Greece and they're yeah. going to be like, do you think they care about the difference between Brooklyn Law School ranked 81 and Turo Law School ranked 147 to 193? They have no idea. They don't give any shits about they're all the same. Yeah. Um, so you got three offers from regional law schools. None of those are exciting. I mean, the full ride's great because you're not paying for law school. Mm-hmm. I am waitlisted at GW, Fordham, St. John's, and Cardozo. Waiting to hear back still from American, Northeastern, Villanova, Columbia. Got denied from Cornell and NYU. It's weird I got waitlisted at St. John's because it's my alma mater and I got accepted to law school for the August 2020 entering class with $25,000 scholarship. Oh, she had previously been accepted to St. John's and said no. And now you're waitlisted. Well, that could be because you've already told them no once and they're worried about yield protection Waitlist does they, not mean no. Did they say no with the to the one hundred and fifty or to the one hundred and fifty-eight? That's what. Or I mean, sorry, did they say yes to the one hundred and fifty or the one hundred and fifty-eight? That's what I'm a little perplexed about here. The timing. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing that it was a no. It was a yes to the one hundred and fifty. It was a yes to the one hundred and fifty <laughs> plus twenty-five thousand. Maybe was, Saint John. That was maybe she's COVID, right? Yeah, maybe it's she's overqualified for Saint John's. I don't know. Could be. Could be. I didn't do enough research to apply to other schools because, ooh, excuse of the week, my parents are Greek immigrants who didn't finish college. 
and thus want me to be in New York or as close to home as possible, but to still be able to have my freedom. Also for context, I was a commuter student while at St. John's from 2016 to 2020. What now? Hmm? I just, what do your parents have to do with anything? You're, you're starting your legal career. Your parents' status as Greek immigrants who didn't finish college. My, my parents didn't go to college at all. And I would never, I mean, I, I guess she's just saying she wants to stay close to her parents, but. Hey, I think, uh, so from my limited, uh, exposure to this field of science decision research, um, I think this okay. is called tunneling. So mm. she looked at her parents, they said, Hey, we want you to be close to home. And she said, okay, my only options are close to home. And that's, she did not explore other alternatives. She just accepted that idea and forced her into a tunnel that required only a small number of decisions. Um, it's unfortunate. People need to question the assumptions that they make all the time. Yeah. Law school is a full-time endeavor. Law, law, legal practice is a full-time endeavor, more than full-time endeavor. And, you know, you you should be making decisions for you here, not your parents want would like you to stay close. I mean, also keep in mind, you're going to be an international lawyer. You're looking to move out. Move. <laughs> yeah. International lawyers tend to not stay home. Um, it, it, not only that, but I mean, I see GW on her list here, which means she's at least willing to go as far as DC. And as is American. And then she's got Northeastern. Which means she's got the entire eastern seaboard to choose from here, which that's, I mean, that is plenty of schools. There's 50 law schools that I think are within her geographical boundaries, even if she decides to arbitrarily set those. Yeah. So I'm not buying that excuse. You know, the I didn't do enough research is <laughs> we're never buying that. Um, sorry. I just want to get the best education possible and go somewhere that will have a lot of opportunities. Wish I could have been accepted to an Ivy League, but my LSAT clearly was too low. I agree. My GPA, on the other hand, was 3.88. And when I saw that, that's when this went from like disappointing into potential tragedy. Yeah, you went up eight points on the LSAT in one month. You tell that to most people, and they're going to be like envious of you to no end. And you have a 3.88. You have the potential to do amazing, and you're not doing that. You could go to literally the best law schools in the country. You want to be an international lawyer? You probably should go to Harvard, Stanford, Yale, I don't think these other schools are making you into an international lawyer. I think you are seriously sacrificing potential if you accept any of these offers. I think it yep. would be an absolute disaster for you to start law school with any of these offers. You're going to be laden with financial burdens and time commitments that will set you down a path that unfortunately started when you began limiting yourself solely based on what your parents were thinking. Yeah. She says, I know the motto is don't pay for law school, but do you guys think it's worth it to pay for Brooklyn Law School? Especially no. because they definitely have better international law opportunities over Turo. 
they have the same. Yeah, they don't. The, Brooklyn Law is bullshitting you with their fantasies about turning people directly into international lawyers. <laughs> There's no way that's a thing. I, I promise you the vast majority of people who go to Brooklyn Law School end up practicing law in New York. Yeah. And you're you have such potential that 3.88 is priceless. You you literally cannot buy that. You could combine that with a 165 or a 170 or a 173 LSAT and the entire world of law opportunities would open up to you. You could do literally anything you wanted. You're going to totally slam the door on all of those opportunities if you start law school this fall. It's a fucking disaster, Ben. Yep. Next steps for E. Uh, withdraw your applications. All of them. All of them. Across the board. All the schools that you're waitlisted at, all the schools that have given you offers, withdraw ev- Withdraw from every single one of these schools immediately. Yes. And, and don't hold on to the ones, even no. the ones that have wasted, waitlisted you, in an effort to see what you might get. Because whatever you're going to get is not going to be good enough and you're going to be tempted by it. So you have to prevent your future self from making a stupid decision. The only school on those lists at all, you haven't heard back yet from Columbia. Mm -hmm. That's an elite institution, but you haven't heard back from them. You're probably not going to hear back from them. They don't admit people with 158s. That's very rare. And those wait lists, if GW decides to let you in, that would be the worst thing that ever happened to you. Same with Fordham, same with St. John's, same with Cardozo. You do not want to attend these schools. You're wasting your opportunity. Can you read this next paragraph? I'm I'm perplexed by it. Well, <clears throat> they attached their resume and personal statement, but why? I what, what they already applied. <laughs> I don't know. I think maybe they thought that it would be useful for us for background information or something. But the thing that they're missing is just the overwhelming importance of the LSAT. Yep. You know, I'm I'm glad you met Matt. I'm glad you started with the demon. I'm glad you went from a 150 to 158. But you can go from that 158 to a 168. And if you do, just like what happened uh, to Madeline in the previous email, you take that 158, you work hard for three months, you turn it into a 168, and you're going to go from, there's going to be schools that blanket denied you and that exact same school will be giving you a full ride. That's what happened to Madeline. And this one month of studying frantically at the last minute to get a 158 and then go to law school. Not only <laughs> E, not only are you not allowed, according to me and Ben, not allowed to go to Brooklyn Law School <clears throat> and pay. You're also not allowed to accept this full ride to Turo or except any offer from any of these schools. Yeah. I don't know why I'm getting this image in my head, but it almost feels like you showed up for a 5k race, like 20 minutes late and you like chugged some water and started running. Everyone else has already been running for 30 minutes. (laughs) It's an unfortunate waste of your potential. Anyways, 
Good luck. Yeah, you you did really super well in that one month in the demon. I mean, regardless of whether you ever pay us another dime, that's not the point. I'm not trying to get another squeeze another couple months of subscription out of you. I just want you to make a much better decision here. You're going to thank us for the rest of your life if you if you deny all these if you if you turn down all these offers, keep studying for the LSAT squeak out even another five points i was gonna offers. say the same thing a 163 <laughs> is just a world of difference from these offers and schools. you don't yeah e please i mean write us back if you have any follow-ups or whatever but you're about to make a tragic error here and your life is going to be um you're just slamming doors on your own self if you take any of these offers right now cool but thanks for writing in but thanks very much for writing in. I mean, I think this is somebody that we might be able to pull back from the brink. Mm-hmm. That's about to be a disaster. Anyway, yeah. next one. Yeah, this next one's from Danielle. Hi, I was listening to one of your podcasts from October 2020 and was wondering whether you still offer the deal on the LSAT Demon if you've been approved for the LSAC fee waiver. Um, please let me know and love your podcast. Yes, Danielle, we do... Um, Offer that same deal. What's the deal, Nathan? All you got to do is email help at lsatdemon.com with proof of your LSAC fee waiver. We will get your uh, LSAC account number or whatever so that we can, ins- you know, that we can connect to your LSAC prep plus account, which you get for free uh, with the LSAC fee waiver. And then what we will give you is instead of charging you $95 a month for Demon Basic, we will charge you $30 one time. That's a fee that we have to pay to the law school admission council for some dumb reason, but we will, we will charge you that $30 one time and we'll give you four months worth of the basic LSAT demon subscription. Cool. Yeah. Hope you join us. We also have several people who are subscribed to premium or live, uh, and get 20% off of those higher tier programs. Same thing. Just send help at lsatdemon.com a copy of your fee waiver, and uh, we'll either get you on board for virtually free or we'll give you a a healthy uh, discount on your subscription price. Cool. All right. I'll read this uh, next one, too. That one was a little short. Dear Ben and Nathan, hope you all are doing well. I'm doing well. You doing well? I'm doing very well. Yeah, thanks. Cool, man. I was your student on the LSAT Demon from September to mid-January. Thanks to the Demon, my LSAT score improved from mid-140 in the May of tw- in May of 2020 to mid-160 January of this year. As See, a that's student- seven months of, of prep, and it's a, it's a more than 20-point in- increase. <laughs> and E was on the way to getting the, to that kind of, those kind of results. She was, that was on, I'm on the way to life changing results. Now nah, I'll just stop. I'll just stop there. I got yeah. on this new exercise routine, you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 50 pounds overweight and I, I lost 10 pounds the first month and I'll just call it good. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what? Anyway, Z did not do that. Z. Z yeah. Good job. Made Z. The 20 point improvement. Yeah. Uh, as a student based in Vancouver, Canada, I have accepted an offer from UBC, the UBC JD program in Vancouver, the best law school in Western Canada and the second most competitive law school in the country. Okay. 
However, I'm still very tempted by the top U.S. law school, by the top U.S. law school, especially HYS, Harvard, Yale, and Stanford. Not only those schools are so prestigious, but also the income from U.S. law firms is much higher than in Canada. Oh, okay. So the top three U.S. schools are still very attractive to me. Got it. So I may want to take a shot to rewrite the LSAT this summer. For our American listeners, rewrite means just to take it and see if I can receive a 170 plus in August. Look, I'm not opposed to that. There was that question when I saw the mid 160s. Why not keep going, right? Like every point just is more money. If yes, I would like to try to apply for HYS this fall while going to my Canadian JD program. Wait, what? What do you, huh? If not, I'm still very happy to do my Canadian JD. I won't lose anything except the time for leisure and the time with family and friends and except the time to purchase LSAT study materials. Uh, Do you want to jump in here on any of this so far? Law school in Canada is different. It's cheaper. Okay. They don't give nearly as many scholarships. Okay. Z is making a strange comparison here. Like the salaries coming out of University of British Columbia, Vancouver, presumably practicing law in Canada versus going to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, the salary that you would make there, presumably practicing law in the United States. Harvard and Yale also are 3,000 miles away it's not just a different country, but it's an entirely different side of the continent. Mm-hmm. Stanford is close enough to Vancouver, short flight, same time zone. But are you, what do you want to do, Z? Uh, do you want to work in the United States or do you want to work in Canada? Is it just about the money? Because you have connections to Canada. I don't know. You got to think about where you want to end up. Well, and I don't think, you know, if you want to practice in Vancouver, I'm not sure that a Harvard, Yale or Stanford degree makes you more money in Vancouver than a UBC JD makes you in Vancouver. Yeah. In fact, I promise you that the UBC program has very strong connections to anybody who's practicing law in Vancouver. You can see downtown Vancouver from the UBC campus. I mean, like, I don't, I I just, I I have a hard time imagining that there's some, somebody in one of those office towers downtown who is turning up their nose at UBC JDs and preferring Harvard, Yale, Stanford. Yeah. In Canada? Why? Yeah. It sounds like what you're saying, and I think this is where at least I'm going with this. If you want to end up in Vancouver, go to your Canadian law school in Vancouver. If you want to end up in the States, then double down on the LSAT and apply next cycle. Vancouver is the nicest. It's the best city. It's the best place in the world. Vancouver is unbelievably nice. And Canada is a better version of the United States. So 
I don't imagine. I bet they, you know, the grass is always greener. So they probably look over the border and think, oh, wow, boy, those Americans, they really have. No, we don't. You trust me. Vancouver is ridiculously nice. Canada is ridiculously civilized. You sound like you're established. Sounds like you got connections. Why would why? Why do you give a shit about Harvard, Yale, Stanford? I don't get it. Hmm. Okay, so Z goes on. My LSAT Canadian GPA is 4.11, which is above the 75th percentile for all U.S. law schools. I don't know anything about that, but would he get a different LSAT GPA, I wonder? Yeah, that's a C GPA, which I've never even seen before. My guess is that those don't get reported on the 509. My guess, I'm purely speculating. You'd have to call LSAC to be sure or call a law school to be sure. But my speculation is that it it might show up as not reported for U.S. law schools. Hmm. We'd have to ask Jackson for sure. I bet he would know. He's, by the way, running our, uh, our study group for Canadian students these days. There are Canada specific issues, but I don't know that. We've never seen anything above a 4.0 on a 509 report. No, we haven't. I don't know if that's possible. That might just be a Canada thing. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's talking about his letters of rec and his undergrad experience. Uh, I don't know that that's going to stick out any in any significant way. So based on what I described, do you think it is worth it for me to spend this summer studying the LSAT? Yes, I think it is if you want to come to the U.S. and practice law here. If not, I would... I would stop. I don't think any U.S. law schools after T3 are attractive enough for me to leave Vancouver. Okay, well, that's kind of revealing. And what I, and what I aim to apply for are the top three schools. Okay, we got that. Another factor to consider is that I have studied for this exam for seven to eight months. Um, actually, I would not consider that a factor. Um, it's in the past. You're moving forward from today. So you have to decide what you want to do and make that decision on what's ahead of you, not what's behind you. So how much can I improve for another three or four months of studies is another question. I don't know, but I think you could get to the 170s. But I am sure that I won't be very stressed studying the LSAT this time since I'm kind of secured in a great Canadian school. I'm still listening to your podcast, even though I've done my LSAT studies. Thank you all so much. And I look forward to your precious advice. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, I, it sounds to me like Z should just go to Canada. I, I, I don't, this whole like, oh, I get, the only those top three are the ones that are appealing right. enough for me to leave. Sounds to me right. like you already have your, your like feet yeah. planted in Vancouver. Right. Like Columbia's not good enough. Yeah. NYU is not good enough. Yeah. Penn's not good enough. You know, oh, I wouldn't. Ah, I never would think about those schools. Yeah, but I would think about Harvard and Yale and Stanford. I think you're just falling into the. I think you've been on Reddit too much. Yeah, you're getting like you're falling into the aura of their mystique. The magic HYS. I can just yeah. say that I went to HYS and I can keep throwing around HYS over and over and over or top three over and over who gives a shit. I don't think anybody in Vancouver gives a shit. If I was in Vancouver, I wouldn't give a shit. I'd be riding around on my bike playing Frisbee. (laughs) (laughs) There's no way I would be thinking that Harvard and Yale are better than university of British Columbia in Vancouver. Dude, I'm envisioning (laughs) you doing both of those things at the same time. Pass it to me. Bike Frisbee. 
Yeah, you're biking, <laughs> smiling, smiling, and throwing the frisbee. Pretty sure I have smiled ear to ear every time I've been the entire time. Every time I've been in Vancouver, it really is a quite lovely place. Cool. Um, good luck, Z. I don't. I don't think it doesn't sound like you want to come to the United States. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to be American, do you? <laughs> Nobody it's, wants it's that. It's not you. It's us. Okay, we get it. <laughs> Absolutely, it's us. Trust us. You don't. You don't want any of this. All right, dear Ben and Nathan, I started the demon about two weeks ago. I found your podcast after reading both of Anne Levine's books. Oh, neat. I listened to one show and immediately looked up the demon. Notice the antiquated two spaces between all the I sentences know, here, Ben. I've seen that each time. Yeah. It's, we, it's rare now that we even get any of these because yeah. we yelled about it so much. But uh, we can all just uh, use one space. Save save your space bar. One space between sentences is the modern standard. It, t- it only took a couple days of using the free trial for me to sign up for the premium version, and it has already paid off. You know, we should make a note here. Um, it's kind of related to our earlier discussion about our fee waiver program demon free it's no longer even a free trial it's free and it's badass ben you just taught a class the other day which is now included in our demon free if you would like to take an lsat class with me nathan fox if you would like to take a class with uh ben olson um you can do so for free all you got to do is go to lsatdemon.com and just get yourself a free account we've got like uh, it's a growing library of classes Yeah, there's um, and there's thousands of people in that demon free already. So, yep. Thousands of other people there studying. You get invited to live events if you sign up for that. Uh, you also already have on demand uh, hours worth of LSAT instruction. We want to make demon free the very best free resource that exists. I think it already is, Ben. Yeah, really. But we're, we're like, expanding it every day, so it's exciting. If you have $0 for LSAT prep, I hope you will study with us. Yep. LSATdemon.com. It's free. And yes, we do have subscriptions. If you want to do more with us, there's ways to do more. But you could get started. I mean, I think it would take you at least a few weeks to exhaust our, few, our free content. Mm-hmm. And in those few weeks, you might improve your LSAT score by 10 points. So get get on it. Um Anyway, M did the free version. It's not a free trial. It's forever free. And uh, that has already paid off. Signed up for premium. I just took my first practice test since starting the demon and my score has already improved five points. Great. I'm still not at the point of being able to finish each section, which you really shouldn't be thinking about. But of the sections I finish, I'm only missing two to three questions. Even better than that on the games. For the life of me, I could barely complete a game without seeing how to diagram it, let alone get all the questions right before the demon. I'm now able to do most games perfectly and just checking with your videos during review that I had the same rough idea. Creating worlds has changed everything. On this practice test, I was only able to get through two games, but I only missed one question. During my review, I tried the other two games without looking at the answers or the video first, and I did them both perfectly. I had been studying since January with the PowerScore books mostly and con. I also briefly tried the LSAT trainer, but I felt like it was making me worse at everything. I wasn't getting anywhere with my scores or accuracy. I wish I had found you guys sooner. I'm keeping the faith that continuing to drill will improve my time and eventually my score. I refuse to rush through a section. Okay. M is, uh, 
<laughs> it's like Emma's recapping all of our advice here. Um, but they're on board. That's great. Making progress. It sounds like, yeah, I'm intending to apply for admission in 2022 as a part-time student at my local law school. My options are limited due to not being able to leave my job, house, boyfriend, and dog. These are not listed in order of priority. <laughs> if it was priority, what would it be, Ben? Uh, what would it be? Would it be dog first, M? Let's be honest. Most people, yeah. Dog, <laughs> house, job, job boyfriend. boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Moving away to any school is not an option. I know you guys recommend applying to 10 or more schools, but there might be two I could apply to and not have to move or leave my job. Would you recommend just applying to those or adding in other schools just to use as leverage, even though I would have absolutely no intention of going there, even with scholarships slash full ride offers? Love the podcast. Praise the demon. M. Well, look, M, I'm sorry. I, I just I, I can't accept your claim that moving away to any school is not an option, that you have to stay because of your job, your house, your boyfriend, and your dog. Your dog doesn't make sense anyways because your dog can come with you. Your house doesn't make sense because moving by definition means to leave behind your house. And um, you can sell it. That's what we do every day in this economy. In fact, this is a great time to sell your house. And um, your boyfriend can come with you if you're that important in his life. And your job, you're going to law school to leave your job. So I, other than your boyfriend, yeah. I don't understand your claim that you you can't move away. And I think you're doing exactly what the other listener was doing. You're tunneling. You've, you've narrowed your set of options to a certain scope. And you're saying, this is my only way forward. And it's seriously cramping your flexibility. Yeah, and... More and more law schools these days are adding online versions of their programs anyway. Yeah. I just saw a thing. I don't know how I happened on it, but Golden Gate in San Francisco, which that was always my like go-to for don't pay for law school when I was in San Francisco. It was like, hey, if you can't get a full ride to Golden Gate, you shouldn't be going to law school, period. Mm -hmm. And let's start with the default assumption that you're going to at least get yourself a full ride to Golden Gate. And then, sure, you can level up from there. But Golden Gate now is offering, and I, I foresaw this, Ben. I foresaw, it's obvious, that's why I foresaw it, that they are now offering a, um, I forget what they're calling it. It might have like Flex or something like that in the name. But they're offering a program where it's a part-time online program and all you ever have to do to come, you, you come to school like four weekends per year or something like that. Hmm. And so I, which it's inevitable after COVID that's, I mean, more and more law schools are going to be doing exactly this. In saves fact, them, saves them money. If your law school isn't doing this, then they're stupid. I mean, really, like, you know, <laughs> if your school is focusing on building skyscrapers and not focusing on online education, yeah, y y they're dumb. Yeah, they're dumb. And, and you don't, that's not a, that's not, that's, that's not a smart strategic move for them. And so M, I think you probably have dozens more opportunities that you're not even looking at. I think you're assuming that you have to go to law school in person. I do not think that's true. 
I don't care where you live. You could live in Vancouver and come down to San Francisco four weekends a year. That's not a big deal. That's a cheap flight. And it's not just going to be Golden Gate. It's going to be dozens of other law schools all across the country that are that are giving you these other options. So what I hear you saying is even if the school is far away, you can stay in your job, your house with your boyfriend and your dog. Yeah. And still go to these other schools. So that's one option. Um, I'm still going to double down on this moving away thing. And I'm going to ask you to do a mental, uh, what is that called? A thought experiment. Okay, I I'm want doing you. It. Oh, uh, yeah, this is for M, but also. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you can do it too. Can I play along? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, Put I'm your hat do on. It. Okay. okay I'm Imagine for a second, M, that you cannot go to school locally. Mm-hmm. What would you do? You go, I can, I can, but just imagine that that was not allowed. And just think about the possibilities that come up. The other thing I want you to think about is I want you to think about your opportunity costs. That phrase may be confusing and not intuitive, but I want you to think about what you're giving up by keeping your job, right? Like if you got into an awesome school for free with a stipend somewhere else, you'd be giving that up to keep your job. I'm thinking that you're keeping your job because you like the money. Well, if it's all about the money, that's easily replaceable, especially with a full ride or even a stipend somewhere and your future potential income. Lawyers make extreme sacrifices and most people break up or get divorced in law school anyway. <laughs> well, that's encouraging. <laughs> it's, a, it's true. I mean, yeah. maybe it's not most people, yeah. but it's extremely common. It, yeah. I mean, it's kind of rare that you make it through law school with your existing boyfriend. Yeah. It's just not, that's, I mean, I, whatever. I don't know your exact circumstances, but in the best of cases, people end up breaking up. Yeah, if you guys are serious, get engaged and move forward. Or to up then and you out, can break right? off your engagement once you're in law school. I mean, it's the, <laughs> like the that's. I'm sorry, but that's the that's life, you know. And you're you. I'm not saying you need to plan on breaking up, but you're going to be a lawyer. You're going to have a legal career. You're going to have a, a a law practice or a. The lawyers that I know have moved several times for jobs. Not only did they move for law school, but then they also moved multiple times for jobs. My two Nikki's, Nikki Black, who was on the show, um, and Nikki Garcia, both my board game lawyer buddies, but they've they've already taken multiple jobs in their careers in entirely different cities. And they've done that with partners. Mm-hmm. But their career trumps their partner's career. Yeah. That's, that's the way it works. It's, it's lawyer shit. Hmm. Yeah, yeah maybe, I agree. And maybe, and maybe your relationship is more important, but then it's like, well, why are you even going to law school? I, I you, you know, you have to, right. I mean, there's so many exactly. questions, so many assumptions. Right. Yeah. If you're not willing to make that sacrifice, then maybe law school is just not the right choice. The dog can come with you. The house is fungible. Boyfriend probably also fungible job. Yeah. You're not 
going to stay there forever. You're, you're planning to be a lawyer, so presumably you're going to quit that job. Oh, here, oh, that just made me think of something. It, here's the second thought experiment. <laughs> Imagine okay. that you stay in the same job, the same house with the same boyfriend and the same dog for the next 20 years. Is that your plan? How painful does that sound? <laughs> right? <laughs> like you're like 20 years from now, you see yourself sitting in that same situation. <laughs> I mean, presumably you're going to go to law school and get a job in the area, but still, do you want to be in that same house for 20 years? Yeah, um, M wants change. Otherwise, you wouldn't be going to law school. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> I want... A dramatic change, but I want to keep all these other things exactly the same. I, yeah, I doubt, I don't know. That doesn't, doesn't quite add up. Anyway, um, the, the reason to apply to the other schools is not just for leverage. The, the reason to apply to those other schools is to know what you're worth in the marketplace, but you should also be seriously considering other options. I mean, at a, at a minimum, check out Golden Gate as an example, you know, check out a school like that to see what kinds of new modern programs they're offering. Cause I have a feeling that those are all across the country now, but also, you know, I, we don't have any idea what kind of level this person is at. Do we, Mm-mm. you know, if you apply to a school in the top 14, and get in and get a scholarship offer or something. Really? You're not going to turn, you're not going to pull up roots in order to take a, a, like a life changing career offer. I don't know. Yeah. Thanks for writing in. Yeah. All right. I'll read this next one. Do you still have time? Yeah. Cool. Hi guys. Exclamation point. Thanks, Katie. First, I want to thank you for your podcast or for the podcast and the demon. Ooh, the the was capitalized. Yeah. They both helped me realize the test is a very is very straightforward, so there's no need to panic. I couldn't agree more. That's great. You also helped me go from a diagnostic of 152 in November to a 163 on the January LSAT. Unfortunately, it was the same day I woke up feeling terrible and found out I had COVID. I felt awful and couldn't seem to concentrate, especially on reading comp, so I was a few points lower than my average. I'm an elementary school teacher, though, so it's going to happen eventually. Um, I guess taking it again. It was just super annoying that I had avoided... Oh, I see. Getting COVID was going to happen eventually. It was just super annoying that I had avoided it for 10 months only to first have the symptoms the same day I took my first test. I took it again in February and got a 166. Oh, that's good. I'm so glad you took it again. All of my progress was entirely because of the demon. Every teacher I had was so nice and amazingly helpful. The drilling was the perfect way to work through a question, then immediately get feedback on how to improve and better understand the test. The one time I had a technical issue on the site, I I got very quick replies and the problem was solved within a day. 100% 100% satisfied with every aspect of the class's website and team. Awesome. Nathan, why did wow. you include this email? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They also must not have had any of my classes. If they're 100% satisfied. Oh, yeah, but, that's true. There's all those. Yeah, yeah you're, that's funny. Now I have a question. Oh, okay. I had applied to a number of schools when I got my first results. 
I know. February is very late and completely against your recommendation. I was mostly just interested to see what would happen. But, okay. <laughs> now you're just setting yourself up to be tempted by offers that are going to be subpar. But anyways. Exactly. And fully expected to have to apply again in the fall. I don't know why you'd put yourself through that, but okay. Uh, I ended up getting a very good offer from the school I was most interested in. Very good doesn't sound like best, but anyways. Nope. After they got my new score, they bumped it up to a full scholarship. All I will have to borrow is my living expenses, and my dad has offered to lend that to me without interest. But here's where I'm unsure what to do. I also got a very good offer from a school here in town. It's for their part-time program so I could continue to work while I go to school. I could move back in with my mom and have very little uh, living expenses and pay for tuition as I go. This means I will finish in four years with no debt, but the local school is ranked so low, it's in the group where they don't actually give the school a ranking. They're just all in the 148 to 194 group, uh, which we saw earlier. Can we cut uh, Can we cut the rest of this? Sure. I have a, my advice is clear. I believe your advice is going to be the same. Okay. Turn down all these offers and reapply at the beginning of the Nike cycle. Like you should have in the first place. You, you don't know what your actual value is. You applied in February. You got shitty offers for you. Your offers would have been much better if you would have applied in the beginning of the cycle like you know you're supposed to. This is, I didn't follow your advice, but now I'm going to ask for your advice again. And I'm giving you my advice. Turn down all these offers and reapply at the beginning of the next cycle. You're, you, you don't even know what those offers could possibly look like because you shortchanged yourself by applying late. This almost full ride and these ranked 148 to 194 schools, they're going to give you at least as good offers next year, probably almost guaranteed better. <sighs> you just, you're, you're, you're about to shoot yourself in the foot. This is the most competitive law school admission cycle ever, according to Anne Levine. <laughs> and you applied late in it. And you got okay offers and you're just comparing mediocre with mediocre. If you apply, you may get a stipend at some of these schools. There's some stipends aren't super common, but that would get rid of your need to even live at home or pay your father <laughs> an interest back of interest free loan. We just don't even know. I mean, I also would be willing to bet that Katie didn't apply to enough schools. She threw in some applications at the last minute just to see what would happen. Yeah. And now she's about to take a sucker offer from one of these schools that they know she's not savvy. She applied, <laughs> she applied so late in the cycle that they're, they know that she's like, she just looks desperate. She looks unsophisticated. They don't have any reason to really you know, back up the Brinks truck for her because she, she just, I don't know. I, this is another example where it's like you're rushing into 
just a suboptimal she's she's doing it's like every sentence is a new little layer of rationalization yeah you know like i would just be borrowing this and uh, it would be this would it would be better than this other shitty thing and it's like yeah you you know what you know what we (laughs) you you trust our advice you know it's like thank you again for absolutely everything all of you do at the demon and thinking Elsa and like asking for advice, but not, not following our explicit advice. Yeah. It's super common. I just can't, it's, it, we, we really can't help people who just don't listen to our obvious instructions. I'm glad you're a fan, Katie. I'm glad you enjoyed the demon. I'm glad you improved so much. You know, but sorry, this is a little bit of tough love. I I hate all these offers. If you apply in September, broader, you're you're gonna find that you have all these offers plus who knows what else. Yeah. And it's the the upside of the who knows what else is gonna make it worth it to just wait. You're, it's not it's not even gonna be the end of 2021. I mean, you're gonna have offers if you apply September first like you should have and you know you should have <laughs> yeah if you do that you're gonna have offers in october or november that blow these offers out of the water yeah talking about tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially and you know like your family's wanting to help out and stuff but we they don't have to you the law schools would just pay all this money it's really nice that your dad wants to loan you the money with no interest, but that money, your dad can invest that money and earn interest on it. Yeah. Good luck, Katie. Good luck, Katie. Um, two more that I, if, if I think we could do them real fast. Yeah, let's um, knock them out. Go for it. Okay. Hello, Nathan and Ben. I'm currently an active duty army intelligence analyst, and I'm struggling to feel rested while studying for the LSAT. I usually study between 7.30 and 9.30 p.m., but by that time, it feels as though my brain is shutting down. Getting seven to eight hours of sleep and nutrition is not making a change. Do you guys have any tips to overcome this or any suggestions to productively drill and do timed sections given my time constraints? Yeah, don't study for two hours at night. Maybe you can't study until 7.30? I don't, I would, I'm going to question that assumption. Can you uh, study a little bit earlier? Can you study for a half hour, 45 minutes and be focused? I can't imagine that um, you're tired. One good hour is better than two shitty hours. Yeah. Yeah. Can you do 7.30 to 8.30 and have it be high quality instead of 7.30 to 9.30 and have it be shit? Yeah. I imagine this person starts earlier in the day, so maybe they can't study before uh, work and, you know. Why not? Why can't people? uh, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to say, like, because if if, if you're tired, I I don't want the same problem to happen on the other end. Sometimes it takes a little bit to wake up. I don't know. I mean, it's it's worth asking yourself, but even if you can't, can you do it during lunch? Why 7.30 to 9.30? Why is that the only time? So... You need to find a way to bring your best hour a day to the LSAT. And maybe that's two Let's half Let's start hours. with that. Yeah. Right. Right. It's also, what about one good hour before work? 
I don't care nearly as much about the second hour. I care. I care a lot about the first hour. Yeah. And yeah, with drilling, I mean, you could it, two half hour sessions of drilling four 15 minute sessions of drilling. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But not two tired hours after work. I, I can't tell you how many students have had huge benefit from just deciding that they were going to study before work instead of after work. You reschedule your workout, you go to bed an hour earlier, you set your alarm an hour earlier. I mean, if you're already getting up at five, whatever you get up at four instead. I mean, like sacrifices will be made if you're going to pursue this career. Cool. Yeah. All right. Um, Here's the last one's from Julia it says, hi guys, I'm a longtime listener of the podcast and was wondering if you would have any insight or advice on my options for law school. At this point, I have narrowed my choices down to the following wash you full ride plus stipend, no debt. Katie, you hear that stipend Northwestern 40,000 a year, mm, roughly a hundred thousand in debt. Jeez Louise. Columbia financial aid pending, but assuming sticker price, that's 280,000 in debt. Jeez Louise. I don't even know if these would be comparable options. Um, I know the that's the is, first thing I thought yeah. was that the, there's a wide gap between these schools. Yeah. Why have you narrowed your choices down to just these three? Yeah. Cause those are your, that's apples and oranges. I mean, I guess Wash U is actually surprisingly high ranked, like just outside the top 14 and super aggressive about scholarships. Okay. End of story. Then if those are your only three choices, choose Wash Lou. I Wash That's U. what I say. I, I don't know why though there are these only these three choices. Right. I'm curious. Okay. So Julia says, I know the Metros don't pay for law school, but being such a high ranked school, would Columbia be an exception? Nope. For some background, I'm a native New Yorker and I'm pretty set on working here after I graduate. I still don't think it's worth close no. to $300,000. Nope. I'm not sure what exactly I want to do after law school. Okay, even more reason not to worry about, to, actually even more reason to worry about the debt, to give yourself the freedom to do what you want. But have some experience working in New York big law as a paralegal. So what? I wouldn't want to do it forever. <laughs> if I had significant debt, I feel confident I could handle working in big law for a few years to pay it down. Um, you've you feel confident that you could handle it, but do you want, to, I just don't, to me, it doesn't make sense. You can go for free. You could, someone could hand you a check for $300,000. What would you do with it? <laughs> would you say, um, okay, I'll give it back and try to earn that money back by going to big law. That's crazy. Anyways, uh, Columbia was my dream school when starting this process. Dreams are not always, by the way, well informed. <laughs> yeah. But I'm concerned it's financially irresponsible. You are right. It is. Yep. yep. Wash, wash you seems like the logical choice. I have a few concerns, mostly about less guaranteed job options and relocating to St. Louis. <sighs> I've always been a good student, a 3.9 GPA in undergrad, so in theory, being in the top of my class could be doable, but I have it in my head that Columbia would open more doors. Northwestern might be a good middle ground. 
top 14 more reasonable debt than Columbia and Chicago, and it's closer to New York. Feels a lot uh, more doable than, no, okay. But I still got spooked seeing how it dropped from 9 to 12 in the most US, <laughs> most recent U.S. news rankings. Gives a shit. That has no bearing on anything. Yep. Am I crazy for wanting to go to Columbia if I'm not committed to a career in big law, or could yes. it actually be worth the debt? You, no. You know <laughs> the, the facts are in front of you, and you are grappling with accepting them. Yeah, the logical choice is wash you. Don't worry about these rankings. Don't worry about the opportunities. Again, if someone said to you, here's a check for $300,000, would you say, no, thanks, I'd like the opportunities? I, I don't think that they're there. I don't think they're, <laughs> I just don't think it's worth that big. But that's a huge amount of money. And it's not even $300,000, right? Because really, you're going to be paying this up over time. So I know you probably won't be able to answer this question, but I wanted to thank you guys for all your help over the years. I relied on the podcast, The Demon, to study and attended one of your weekend classes in New York. Oh, cool. I wouldn't have done as well as I did without the advice. You got a 175. Wait a sec. She has a 3.9 and a 175. I feel like there should be more offers on the table here. Yep. I think Julia gave us a limited list of options here, and I think that there are more choices than just these. I don't. I have no idea why we've narrowed it down to three schools in three far-flung – I mean, I guess St. Louis and Chicago are kind of close to each other, but where are all your other offers from regional New York schools, for example – Where's the full ride from Brooklyn? Where's the full ride from Fordham? Where's the, you got lots of other choices that are closer than wash U. And I would think that there should be offers in the top 14. With a 175, you're in the 75th percentile for every school or at least every school except for Yale, maybe. And a 3.9 GPA. I, I'm sorry. People hate this advice. The one thing she doesn't have a bullet point here for reject all offers and try again next cycle. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You're no, allowed you have, to do you that. You have great numbers. I don't understand. Fuck yeah, you do. I don't understand why your choices are these choices. I I don't think any of these offers are worth. Where's Harvard? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Where's Stanford? Where's Yale? Where's UVA? And where are all the other? Where's Michigan? This though, yeah, Julia, your numbers are apply to Harvard, get in, turn them down, and go to Michigan on a full ride plus ten thousand dollar a year stipend instead. That's what your numbers would justify. I feel like the name of this episode is "Stop Tunneling." Everybody's just like. <laughs> narrowing down their choices to yeah. these weird like small landscapes in the vast universe of choices. <laughs> yep. Julia, with your numbers, if I was you, I would not take any of these offers. Yep. I think I think that wash you full ride plus stipend, I mean that's a good start. I guarantee, I can't guarantee, but <laughs> I would be shocked. I would wager. I would wager a lot that Wash U will just immediately give you that same offer next cycle. Yeah. So you can't do worse than that. It's impossible to do worse. It, it, these offers really with your numbers, you can't, it's impossible to do worse. 
So why not reject all these offers and apply again on September 1st? Nobody wants to do that, but they're just, everybody's so short-sighted. They don't realize that they're playing a 40, 50 year game here. And, you know, starting the game before you really get the best starting position is just, you're, you're, you're not setting yourself up for as much success as you could possibly have. You have elite numbers and these are not elite offers. Yeah. I don't know if we've ever given this analogy on the show. It's such a, it's such a common analogy. It's almost a little boring, but you know, that one where they talk about how the plane is taking off. And if it's like two degrees off, you're going, you leave Los Angeles and you're heading for New York. But if you're two degrees off, you're going to end up in DC or maybe Florida. Right. 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 A small change at the beginning has a big impact at the end. If you haven't heard that analogy before, this is exactly what we're talking about. You're two degrees off from (laughs) applying now or accepting now versus, you know, reapplying. But that two degrees can make the world of difference. Yeah. I mean, in the plane, with the whole plane example, they, the plane is always off target, right? And it is constantly just adjusting itself back to target. Mm-hmm. But but the problem is with law school admissions, it's it's more like a like ballistic. Um, I'm thinking about like oh like a trebuchet or a cannonball, where you don't get to steer it once you've fired it. Oh, I was saying the plane didn't steer. Like if you if you head off in the wrong direction, right? No, you, but that's right. But you can't. But I, I got. Let's tweak the example mm-hmm. to a cannonball or a trebuchet or a whatever an what arrow. is a trebuchet <laughs> yeah you know game of thrones the big like it's got the arm and it oh. like, launches the thing that's a trebuchet Sweet. Um, yeah julia you're about to launch on the just wrong trajectory here yeah you, you want to get that dialed in precisely then fire because you're yeah the, these I, those are, to me, those look like shockingly bad offers and shockingly amazing numbers, <laughs> right? That's what I'm saying. You're, you're at or above the 75th percentile for Harvard, Stanford, Yale for both LSAT and GPA. Where's your admittance to one of those schools or where's your full ride to some other school in the top 14? These offers look like garbage to me. I'm worried that Julia might've applied late. It's the most competitive cycle ever. I would be curious about the personal statement. Yeah. I I was thinking the same thing. Did that shoot her in the foot somehow? Did she come across as extraordinarily naive and these schools ran away for some reason? Um, or worse. I don't know. It's, it's strange. The offers don't make sense to me. Julia, if you withdraw all these offers and reapply next cycle, I will be surprised if you don't end up on a full ride at a top 14 and none of these are full rides at top 14s. So I don't, I think they're all beneath you. I think you can do better. Yep. Thanks for writing in. Um, Yeah. I, hopefully this advice was helpful and not depressing, but I think, I think it's like the tough love that uh, we wouldn't say anything else. Um, We wouldn't say hooray for you. Good job. Have a good time at WashU. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, we started with Madeline, yeah. you know, who sounds like did everything right and ends up with a, you know, a full ride offer to a school that was previously going to deny her. And we just, we see so many people 
getting such incredible offers, we see that every single cycle. So we know how good it can be for you. And so when we see these mediocre offers, um, you're asking us for advice. So we're going to give it to you. Yeah. And there's no, there's no shame or it's not a tragedy. Like people really, there's, there is a discomfort to just not knowing. And they, but, but it's not worth like the relief of that discomfort is not worth setting yourself on the just wrong path here. Yeah. All right. If you want to get the same tough love that we dished out today, (laughs) (laughs) email your excuse of the week, your plans to apply now, despite all our advice to the contrary, (laughs) uh, at help at thinkinglset.com. If you have questions about the LSAT demon, email help at lsatdemon.com. As Nathan said earlier, you can sign up for Demon Free, which is forever, uh, and get a lot out of that before you run out of tests and questions. There's several courses in there already, and we keep adding more every day. That was episode 292 of the Thinking LSAT podcast. Thanks, all y'all, for listening. Nice knowing you. Don't pay for law school. <laughs>